Hello and welcome to the Holmes Politicast. I'm Thomas. And I'm Jim. So this week we're going to talk about the Enbridge Line 5 oil pipeline, school pension, Governor Whitmer's call for increased transparency, a bill protecting Michigan seniors from abuse, the debut of a movie called Slay the Dragon, a senator pleads guilty to DUI charges, 100,000 people possibly losing their Medicaid coverage, and a vote for a graduated income tax in Michigan. Got a lot of exciting stuff lined up for you today. Jim, would you like to introduce your headlines? I've got a wedding venue that declined to host a same-sex marriage ceremony, sues Michigan Department of Civil Rights, and the Michigan Senate bill that would allow college and amateur athletes of any age to earn money off their likeness. All right, well, let's jump into it. So this piece is from MLive. Um, The author is Malachi Barrett. The title is, Elizabeth Warren calls to shut down Enbridge Line 5 oil pipeline across Michigan, joining Sanders and Buttigieg. So a lot of national figures uh, jumping in on Michigan's business. Uh, So let's, let's see what they have to say. Democratic presidential hopeful Elizabeth Warren joined calls to shut down a controversial oil pipeline running across Michigan through the Straits of Mackinac. With less than two weeks before Michigan holds its March 10th primary, Warren said the pipeline is, quote, a threat to millions who rely on the Great Lakes for clean water and a healthy economy, unquote. In a statement on Twitter, Warren voiced her opposition the day after Democratic opponent Pete Buttigieg made a similar statement while Bernie Sanders called for the pipeline to be shut down last summer. Enbridge Energy's Line 5 pipeline spans 645 miles between Superior, Wisconsin, and Sarnia, Ontario, carrying 23 million gallons of crude oil and natural gas liquids per day. Environmentalists are particularly concerned about the impact of an oil spill in a four-mile segment divided into dual pipes that extend across the Straits of Mackinac, linking Lake Huron and Lake Michigan. So basically, everybody's freaking out about this pipeline. Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer has tried to block the Snyder-Embridge deal, but the Michigan courts have backed Embridge so far, the latest being a Michigan Court of Appeals ruling last month. In a statement last July, Sanders called the pipeline and a proposed replacement tunnel a, quote, clear and present threat, end quote, to the environment, Sanders recognized the nine-year anniversary of Enbridge's oil spill on the Kalamazoo River, the largest and most expensive inland oil spill in American history. More than one million gallons of crude oil spilled into the river in 2010 after an Enbridge pipeline broke near Marshall. Sanders says the pipeline should close and that all new fossil fuel infrastructures should be banned. It seems that the rest of the Democratic hopefuls are jumping on board with that opinion. Buttigieg is quoted as saying on Twitter, quote, In every community, we need new clean energy solutions to meet our climate crisis. So we will be discussing this much more extensively in the opinion segment. So Jim, would you like to bring us uh, your article? Sure. A wedding venue that declined to host a same-sex marriage ceremony sues Michigan Department of Civil Rights. The Michigan Department of Civil Rights doesn't have the authority 
to investigate discrimination against a same-sex couple, claims a company whose owners declined to host a same-sex wedding ceremony because of their religious beliefs in a court case filed last week. Roush World is a 300-acre park and wedding venue in Sturgis, according to the company's website. Its owners are suing the Michigan Department of Civil Rights and its interim director, Mary Engelman, arguing the state's Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act doesn't protect people from discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity. And the law's plain language does not. But the Michigan Department of Civil Rights is operating under an interpretation of the word sex, which the law does protect, to include sexual orientation and gender identity. The plaintiffs disagree with that interpretation, noting in their suit that the legislature has declined to approve legislation that would add LGBT protections to the civil rights law 11 times. Our defense is pretty simple. Our Michigan law, at least as it currently stands, does not include sexual orientation or gender identity as protected categories, said attorney David Kalman of Kalman Legal Group, who was representing Rausch World owners and brothers, Jamie Rausch and Ben Rausch. The MDCR opened an investigation into Rausch World based on a complaint from Natalie Johnson and Megan Oswald, according to the lawsuit. The company declined to host their wedding ceremony due to the Christian beliefs of the owners. Rausch World is asking the court to grant a declaratory judgment saying sexual orientation and gender identity are not covered by the Civil Rights Act and to grant injunctions stopping the investigation into Rausch World and future investigations of discrimination based on sexual orientation. Michigan's Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act protects people from things like employment and housing discrimination based on religion, race, color, national origin, age, sex, height, weight, familial status, and marital status. There have been perennial legislative efforts to include sexual orientation and gender identity as protected categories. There is an act of legislation to do so pending now. So far, those efforts have failed to gain traction in the legislature. All right. Thank you for that, Jim. I'm sure we can discuss that much more in the opinion segment as well. All right. Moving from the courts back over to Gretchen Whitmer. A piece from the Center Square by Scott McCallan. State representatives spar with Whitmer administration over school pension assumptions. So I won't read out this whole article. The basic gist of the article is that Michigan State Representative Thomas Albert says that Governor Gretchen Whitmer's 2021 budget proposal quote, raids the public school pension fund to pay for other programs, unquote. He's referring to her new administration, encouraging the state to put less money into the debt-saddled pension system and use it instead to fund other programs. In 2018, the Michigan Public School Employees Retirement System, Retirement Board, and the Department of Technology, Management, and Budget adopted a 2.75% payroll growth assumption down from 3.5% to reflect declining K-12 enrollment and ballooning pension debt. So this article is very technical, not exactly a model of transparency that Michiganders, I'm sure, would like to see um, in reports on their government. But the basic gist of the article is that the pensions for public school employees are being cut to fund other programs, um, and that's something that Governor Whitmer's budget, contrary to what she has been talking about, 
is going to be doing. Representative Thomas Albert said in a statement, The Office of Retirement Services' failure to follow state law would have resulted in chronic underfunding of the retirement system. Failing to address a broken pension system is no different than robbing the next generation of its wealth and spending it today. This is both unsustainable and unfair to our kids, who will eventually foot the bill. So staying on the topic of Gretchen Whitmer, another article from this last week by Paul Egan of the Detroit Free Press, entitled, Governor Whitmer's Call for Increased Transparency is Still a Work in Progress. Early in 2019, newly elected Governor Gretchen Whitmer ordered the state agencies to respond more quickly to requests for public record under Michigan's Freedom of Information Act and to reduce the fees citizens are charged to receive those records. But one year later, Whitmer's office has not been tracking the response to her executive directive, and users say not much has changed. Freedom of Information Act is used by journalists, attorneys, contractors, and regular citizens to access records containing a huge range of useful public information. From how much the state is paying its park rangers to whether a high school teacher has ever been disciplined to when the city council plans to resurface a local street. A year after the governor called for improvements at the state level, the free press found, first off, users say 10-day extensions are still the rule, not the exception. Secondly, it is not unusual for state agencies to take months to re- to produce requested records. And thirdly, high fees to obtain public records remain a concern. Whitmer said she wanted closer adherence to state law, which says public bodies shall respond to a Freedom of Information Act requests within five business days of the receipt. State government must be open, transparent, and accountable to taxpayers, says Whitmer, in announcing her plan to improve Freedom of Information Act and state government transparency. Extending the response time by 10 additional business days, an option provided for in the FOIA law, is going to be the exception and not the general rule, she said. Regular users of the Freedom of Information Act say that this has not happened, and they say the initial response time Whitmer targeted is often a red herring. State agencies can lawfully respond within five business days by providing an estimated fee for gathering and processing the records and requesting payment of a 50% deposit, but after receiving the payment, take much longer to produce the records. So another news from the Capitol, the House approves a landmark plan protecting Michigan seniors from abuse, the GOP House reports. So on February 25th, the Michigan House overwhelmingly approved a bipartisan plan to protect Michigan seniors from abuse. Representative Graham Filler of DeWitt said over 70,000 older adults in Michigan have experienced some form of abuse, but suspects the actual number is much higher. So Filler said in a statement, Right now in Michigan, there aren't enough protections in place for vulnerable seniors or strict enough penalties to ensure people think twice before targeting or taking advantage of Michigan's aging population. This is a very serious issue that needs to be addressed. Under this proposal that was passed, Assaulting a senior could result in up to 25 years in prison and up to $25,000 in fines, while embezzling could result in up to 20 years in prison and up to $50,000 in fines, depending on the severity of the crime. All right, Jim, could you bring us your next article? Sure. 
The Michigan Senate bill would let college and amateur athletes at any age to earn money off their likeness. A bipartisan support for letting college athletes earn compensation from their name, image, and likeness is growing in the Michigan legislature. But one state senator is advocating state officials go a step further and allow all amateur student athletes the same opportunity. In comments to the Michigan Senate Regulatory Reform Committee Tuesday, Senator Adam Hollier, a Democrat from Detroit, pitched lawmakers on allowing amateur athletes to profit from their name and likeness as young as you want to start playing. As sports grow more competitive among younger age groups and more kids turn to expensive clubs, travel teams, and other private entities to play at the elite level, Hollier said it's important to let student athletes take full advantage of opportunities to share their skills and potentially earn money from them while it's relevant. It's the only talent that we say you can't make any money until you become a professional, and most people will never do that, he said. Hollier's bill would go beyond what's been proposed by state reps Joe Tate, a Democrat from Detroit, and Brant Iden, a Republican from Ashtimo Township, which exclusively focuses on college athletes. Efforts to give college athletes more autonomy to seek endorsements and earn outside revenue have been gaining momentum across the country, with supporters of state-level policies arguing the NCAA isn't moving fast enough on the issue. Currently, the NCAA follows a strict amateurism model for its athletes. Hollier said many other youth and student sporting organizations have similar roles, although it depends on the sport. High school athletes are not subject to compensation restrictions in Michigan, he said. Michigan State University senior Warren Stanfield III, a legislative staffer for Hollier and former MSU wrestler, said the power dynamic for student athletes is skewed towards institutions, sharing that while an athlete, he suffered severe injuries and put up with long hours, strict rules, and suggestions that he can change his major to something more compatible with practice schedules with no chance to make money on the side. What happens is you give up autonomy of your name, your likeness, anything, he said. It's about the fact that an institution can hold your dreams in its hand and tell you that you have to give up your legal autonomy as a human being in order to get there. Although most student athletes don't earn scholarship money, they still have to give up every single right, Stanford continued. The Michigan High School Athletic Association opposes Hollier's bill, but no one from the association testified in person at Tuesday's hearing. The legislation remains before the Senate Regulatory Reform Committee and would need to pass both the full Senate and House and be signed by Governor Gretchen Whitmer to become a law. All right, thanks for that, Jim. A couple more quick articles to wrap up our news segment. The Detroit Free Press is going to be hosting a film festival in March. Uh, they're going to be highlighting a film that is called Slay the Dragon. This film highlights efforts in Michigan to end partisan gerrymandering and is slated to be debuted at the film festival. So Slay the Dragon is a film by Emmy Award-winning Barrett Goodman, and it features voters, not politicians, a grassroots movement of thousands of volunteers who, through a ballot initiative, changed the state constitution to create an independent commission to draw congressional and legislative districts instead of the party that controls the state legislature. That seems like it's going to be an interesting movie. I'm interested in seeing it. I'm excited for it to come out and 
you know, see how that all played out. Another story from this last week, the Detroit Free Press reports that Rebecca Warren pleads guilty to a lesser DUI charge. So Mike Martindale of the Detroit Free Press reported that State Representative Rebecca Warren from Ann Arbor pleads guilty in the 52-3 District Court in Rochester Hills to a reduced charge of misdemeanor operating while intoxicated, first offense. She could be given up to 93 days in jail and fines when she is sentenced March 17th. She pleaded guilty to a lesser charge, which is not that unusual for a first-time offender, said Auburn Hills Police Lieutenant Ryan Gagnon. First offenders have at times been considered for operating while impaired, an even lesser offense. Warren was pulled over on December 26th after police and other motorists spotted her weaving through Interstate 75 traffic near Baldwin Road in Auburn Hills, where she drove off the road, bounced her Jeep Cherokee off a guardrail, and back on the freeway. No other vehicles were involved, and there were no other injury, or no, no injuries at all occurred in the incident. Um, Warren failed the roadside sobriety test and told officers she was on her way home to Ann Arbor after attending an event in Detroit. She refused preliminary breathalyzer tests and would not provide samples of her blood, so police obtained a search warrant. A blood draw found her blood alcohol content was at 0.212%, nearly three times the 0.08 level at which motorist is considered intoxicated. Because of her high intoxication rate, Warren could have faced up to 180 days in jail and larger fines under the state's quote-unquote super drunk law when a blood alcohol content is recorded at 0.17 or higher. In a statement issued Tuesday, Warren says she takes full responsibility for the incident. She says she deeply regrets the decision she made in late December, and she says that she thanks God that she didn't harm anyone else or herself that night. So this next piece is an example of why you should not be just reading headlines. The piece is from MLive by Emily Lawler, and the title is 100,000 Could Lose Medicaid Coverage in 2020 Due to New Work Requirements, Michigan Estimates. I'm not going to go over this piece extensively um, because it is quite long and there's a lot of unnecessary information. Yeah, I'm editorializing. Deal with it. So, Miss Lawler starts the piece by saying the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services expects that 100,000 people on the Healthy Michigan Plan, the state's Medicaid extension program, will lose coverage for at least one month this year due to new Medicaid work requirements. So, the headline kind of makes it seem that 100,000 people are going to lose medical coverage. Um, and then she kind of explains that in the first paragraph here for at least one month. She goes on to explain different reasons why people may be losing their medical coverage for a month. Passed in 2018 and signed into law by former Governor Rick Snyder, the work requirements went into effect January 1st. Under the new law, able-bodied adults receiving Medicaid under the Healthy Michigan Plan must do 20 hours per week or 80 hours per month of workforce engagement, things like working or going to school. Alex Rossman, External Affairs Director for the Michigan League for Public Policy, said in other states, many of the people who get cut aren't actually cut off for noncompliance. They're cut off because they didn't report properly. 
any one person losing their health care for inadvertent reasons, whether they weren't aware of the law change or weren't sure how to abide by it, that is just one person too many, Rossman said. In a quote later in the article from Whitmer, she says, I'm fighting to protect health care because everyone deserves access to quality, affordable care. So this is something that I think we can discuss quite extensively in the opinion segment. Um, the rest of the article is there for you to read at your leisure. And one last piece before we go. By Susan J. Demas. The piece is from michiganadvance.com. The title of the piece is, Michigan Could Vote on Graduated Income Tax in November. Again, not going through this extensively. We'll cover this a lot more in the opinion segment. This is one of the things that I really wanted to uh, discuss this week. Uh, But the article says Michigan is only one of nine states that doesn't have a tax system in which those who make more money pay a higher rate. Currently, everyone pays a flat 4.25%. Constitutional amendments require at least 425,000 and 59 valid signatures to be gathered by July 9th to go before voters in the 2020 general election. There's nothing in the article about how many signatures they've received so far, but it does say polling released last year from the National Progressive Policy Group, State Innovative Exchange, showed that 76% backed a graduated income tax where millionaires pay more and working people get a tax cut. So again, discussing this much more extensively in the opinion segment. And that is all that we've got for you this week. I'm Thomas. And I'm Jim. And we'll see you on Friday for the opinion segment. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to give us a rate, uh, subscribe to our channels, um, share us with your friends, do all the things that help us out and keep us going. Thanks a lot for listening.